Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. This season, we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading in a church or in some other setting. So if you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, consider joining the next Transforming Community, a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders offered in nine quarterly retreats. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, Steve, we're on episode six, putting on the new nature. And even though we did talk a little bit about putting on the new nature in the last episode, uh, discussing the Enneagram, this chapter takes us to some other new and very practical places that I'm looking forward to talking with you about. Um, What Mulholland emphasizes right away at the beginning of chapter six is that we don't want to focus too much on avoiding the vices or putting to death our false self that that's not really going to be the most productive way, but um, that there's this inseparable parallelism between having put off the old nature with its deeds to having put on the new nature, which is being renewed, that he never talks about just avoiding the vices all by itself. There's always two sides of this very same coin. So um, he draws us deeply into Colossians 3, and I'm wondering Would you sort of open that up for us, what he does with Colossians 3, because it's just so important? Well, I think Colossians 3 is so rich, and uh, so there's a lot to say here, but uh, the idea of being uh, hidden with Christ in God uh, becomes real when we hear this odd phrase in this order in Colossians 3.12, God's chosen ones holy and beloved. So there's these three descriptors, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And it comes a little weird because up until this point in Colossians, Paul's been sort of nailing them for being, for having such false selves and living out of those false selves. Mm -hmm. And then Paul calls them these three things, chosen ones, holy and beloved. So Mulholland writes that our chosenness has nothing to do with any behavior that we did or didn't do. Our chosenness came from before we ever existed. Mm-hmm. Um, that our, our our chosenness is solely because of God's loving nature. Uh, and I quote: "Our chosenness is the profound reality out of which our very being has emerged. We were chosen to be in the heart of God long before we ever existed in this life." That's what Mulholland writes. And so I think this putting on the new nature is much more about remembering who we are, or at least starts with remembering who we are far more than any activity or behavior that we could have done. 
Uh, and I just love that. And so our chosenness leads to our holiness or being holy. Uh, that's that second one. Uh, because God, and I quote again for, for Romans 5, 8, God substantiates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. We're holy because of that. Mm-hmm. And um, our chosenness flows out of God's love and God's loving nature. And our belovedness even is God's doing, not ours. Yeah. You know, he also, he really does work beautifully with these words. So earlier in the book, he talked about the word chosen as not being really the very best um, translation, but that it literally means to speak forth, that we were spoken forth by God. We were spoken forth out of the heart of God's love before the foundation of the world, which is why that's our, uh, which is why that's our true identity and our true self, regardless of any behaviors uh, we were spoken forth out of the heart of God's love. And then I, he always uses the word holy to mean wholeness. So when he's writing about wholeness in Christ, he's not talking about some rarefied kind of perfection. He's just talking about being whole and complete, you know, human beings. Yes, um, I love that. And of course, then the, the word beloved is is so beautiful too. But I, I like his work with the words because I think sometimes we get so used to these words that they don't mean anything to us. And right. we need to to really have a fresh take on what the words themselves mean. So Ruth, after being chosen, uh, moving toward wholeness and receiving that from God and being called beloved, we move into a list of virtues that compassion, kindness, patience, that seem lovely, but I, I how do we put those on and how aren't they more behaviors that we're supposed to do? How, how do we start doing that in our real lives and in our everyday relationships? Well, first of all, that language of putting on signals to me that we do have a choice. There are choice points that come, right? When we can choose to be kind or not, we can choose to be compassionate or not. Um, and those are the moments when we can really choose whether or not we're going to live out of our true self or we're going to go backwards into that self-protective life of the false self. Um, and one of the things that this brings up for me, and it seems unrelated, but it's really related, is this issue of rest. When mm-hmm. we are dangerously depleted, I think this list of things just overwhelms. And I just say, I can't, I just can't do any of that. I don't have it in me to be kind to anybody. I don't have it in me to be present to anybody else's pain and hurt. And this is where the seriousness of our rhythms of work and rest becomes so important, I think, because and Wayne Mueller says this at the beginning of his book, Sabbath, that people who are rested are much are naturally kinder. You know, yeah. it's when we're exhausted and when we feel that we don't have enough in life and we have no margins that we can't make these choices. And so I want to say, you know, at the get go, if this list of virtues makes you feel tired, it probably means you're dangerously tired. And that yes. the first thing you need to do is really focus on rest because a rested Christian who is in God for the world is going to naturally be someone in whom kindness and compassion and long suffering mm. and things like that, uh, gentleness and meekness resides. Um, in fact, you know, some people would say that human beings who are rested are naturally kinder, you know, well, that yeah. it is really difficult to be kind and compassionate when we are, you know, living on fumes. And so, mm-hmm. 
I just want to introduce that because I know that leaders are tired right now. I've been on Zoom calls with so many groups of leaders and the exhaustion is so real because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're working harder than we've ever worked. We're all in more meetings trying to make decisions about how to do what we do in new ways. Um, There's just so much to figure out and we're discerning what our response to everything should be almost month by month. Like I know one pastor where every month, the board is getting together to decide, well, are we going to reconvene and how many oh. people? And, and that's wow. just a rolling every month. We're going to talk about this based on where we are as a country. And I, and I feel the same way because we're making those kinds of decisions for our retreats. Um, you know, each and every one we're trying to discern, are we going to meet in person? Are we going to be virtual? Are we going to be hybrid? And, and I'm just tireder than I've, yeah. than I remember being in a very long time. And I know that when I'm tired like that, words like kindness and compassion and long suffering and things like that feel weighty, you know, yep. or we know that one of the results of being exhausted is impatience. And yet one of the, the things that's listed here is patience or long suffering. So we just yeah. can't do it when we're too exhausted. We are humans after all. So I'm just going to say. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. Cause I, as even a, my shoulders dropped, even mm-hmm. as you said the word rest, like, oh yeah, you're right. Oh really? We get some... to talk about rest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's the, where's the director of naps when That's you need right. it? I tell you, she's right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do want to say that maybe rest is going to need to be prerequisite to all of this, but when we are rested and when we are living in loving union with God, these kinds of things are very, you know, very more natural than they are unnatural. At least that's the way I experience it in myself. Um, And I love his, um, his description of compassion. And of course there's such a need for compassion in the world right now. He said it requires a loving immersion in the life of others, a feeling of their pain, a sharing of their hurt, being touched deep in our own being by their brokenness. And this is the crux of the matter here. Such immersion is costly in time, energy, attentiveness, and perhaps even in material resources. See, that's the thing. Um, If immersion is costly, then we need to make sure that we have some inner resources to give, right? Yep. By being rested and that making sure that we're resting and taking our Sabbaths and all that sort of thing is not just a self-focused, self-centered, luxurious existence. It's actually what keeps us in this particular game. It's what keeps us in the world um, open to what God wants to flow through us. So um, I will say that he also does bring up the fact that it's possible sometimes that when we do have resistance to things like compassion and lowliness, gentleness, patience, or long suffering, that a lot of times it also rubs against our false self. And so mm-hmm. that is another opportunity to stop and to notice and to welcome the experience for whatever it is the experience has to teach you to welcome the Holy spirit into that experience, consent to the work of the Holy spirit, do your letting goes. Um, because I, I do believe that God will release you and free you as you practice that welcoming prayer and pray the letting go. Sometimes people say, well, should I pray them if I don't mean them? And I, and I'm, and I say, yes, because Mm -hmm. just saying them starts to take you in another direction besides just being stuck, you know, in your false self. Uh, And it's really nice to have a prayer to pray that actually makes sense in a situation and can make a difference and can shift something inside you. Not because the words are magic, but because they are a way of, of seeking to open. Yep. Now, 
he talks about two virtues that we don't talk much about. And I think we simply must talk about them. Um, that we, we put off our vices and he says, let's not too, spend too much time on our vices. Let's talk about the virtues and what we're supposed to put on. And then he says that these virtues are lived out in relationship again. So, you know, our religion, our spirituality is not lived in primarily in these privatized moments of solitude and silence. Our moments of solitude and silence replenish us and they help us connect and open to the presence of God. But then we live our lives in relationship. Um, and he says that the context in which these virtues are lived are relationships in which we forbear one another and forgive one another. And these are also in Colossians 3. Um, so forbearance, you know, I don't know when the last time was that I heard the word forbearance, um, <laughs> but I think it matters in our current culture, yep. don't you, as we talk about yes. it? And then forgiveness. Uh, I have been in his presence where he has said that forgiveness is a frontal assault on a false self. Whoa. And so we're going to talk about forgiveness. We have to go deep with forgiveness, Steve, because I think um, many of us have forgiveness work that we have simply set aside and we haven't completed yep. and we haven't done it. And um, that's going to always be stunting to our ability to be in God for the world. So you want to talk about forbearance to get started? Yeah. So I'm noticing his succinctness is such an invitation. So I want to just read his definition. To be forbearing with others requires the relinquishment of the boxes in which we imprison them. Yeah. So just like we, in, we are tempted to put God in a box and leave God there, we're tempted to put others in a box and leave them there. We think it's really natural to ask for forbearance for our quirkiness, for our differences, for our bad days that we're having. Give me a little grace. But we find it hard to not pigeonhole or caricature others. And even we talked about the Enneagram in the last episode, and the Enneagram can be used as a tool just to keep someone in their caricatures and keep someone in their boxes and to instead of gaining empathy for them to judge them according to the ways in which they'll never change. So I hear him saying uh, that forbearing with one another is uh, being able to extend to them the freedom to change and grow and be who they are in the moment while hanging on to the fact that we are enveloped in God's love in such a way that we're not so affected by the whims and, you know, the capriciousness of others, even when they're not being their best selves. So forbearing with one another is being present to one another in the loving union that we're experiencing with God and being invited to go wherever God wants to take us in that, in that moment. Yes, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forbearing with one another. Yeah. Um, I've heard him say that forbearing means that we allow God to be God for them on God's own terms for them, right. rather than us insisting that, that, you know, people be what we are insisting that they be. Yes. But, but, you know, as, as challenging as that is, it's also pretty freeing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. To think that I it's can exhausting. Be, 
it's to try to change everybody to be somebody that I can relate to, you know, exhausting, Um, exhausting, but to be present in love. Wow. Even in the midst of our differences. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful. And I think right now with, um, things the way they are politically in our country, it's been, I've experienced it. I've experienced it to be very difficult to be forbearing with people who see these things differently than I do. I'm just going to be honest. This has of been course. a very trying season. Um, I've never been so angry in my life, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I so know. consistently angry in my life. <laughs> yeah, um, why can't people be reasonable I, like I, I am? And then, yes. And I'm just angry with people who don't see it the way I do and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, but if we can relinquish the need for any, to make people like us or for them to be like us in order for us to be in relationship with them, there's a kind of freedom in that. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully something that's helpful to the human race at this moment, because how polarized we are is just destroying us right now. Yeah, um, I agree. Christians 100%. are right in there being destroyed in all the same ways that everybody else is being destroyed. You know, we're not bringing anything. No, um, that's redemptive to our world right now. So I think forbearance is huge and I think it's really, really hard. But I think the more we experience God's love for us, mm-hmm. um, where God just comes and communes with us, even in the midst of our own um, false self stuckness we then have much more capacity to be with others in the places of our difference without needing to fix anything, without needing to fix them or us or the thing between us or, or whatever, but love can still be there. And in that stance, we don't have to cut ourselves off from people because they believe differently. And maybe the more we stay in touch with our false selves and uh, allow Christ to meet us in that room and in its full darkness, that leads to compassion, that leads to patience, because we can see our own selves in the darkness Mm -hmm. that we bring. And we can say, Okay, well, if someone else is exhibiting some of those same darknesses, then maybe uh, because I've been offered patience, I can offer patience to others. And you know, you can feel it, like I can feel the difference in these two ways of being like in my body, you know, the feeling that I feel when I feel like I have to convince somebody of something and make them believe what I do versus the feeling of I'm just present with you in love, just listening. And, you know, and I, and I even have some insight, like even people who believe about things and interpret things very differently than I do, I can still hear through to the fear that they feel, um, to the human dilemmas that they're in the midst of, um, and be compassionate for that versus having to get into an argument where I prove my point. And there's something that's really good about that for me and for them, I think. What about forgiveness? And I, you know, you said a minute ago, it's just something that we have to talk about. I, I think it, it, it's yeah. a, it's a huge need for mm-hmm. freedom for those who need to be forgiven and for those who need to forgive. So how does Mulholland talk about forgiveness? Well, um, I, if, you know, if he were still here on the planet, I wish he would have written a whole book about forgiveness because the little bit that he did say while he was still alive was so profound to me. Um, first of all, he says that forgiveness is a frontal assault on the false self. Um, 
just goes against the false self completely. But then he does some really good definitional work. Um, he defines what forgiveness is not, that forgiveness is not acceptance or approval of what has been done. And I think this is where we get into trouble. We think that to forgive somebody means I have to come to a place where I approve of what they did or I accept what they did or I let them off the hook for what they did. And he said, no, that's not what, that's not what it is. Um, forgiveness is not a means to engender reconciliation. Um, right, right. That is amazing, isn't it? Because yes. the truth is, there's two things that go on there. The truth is, if I don't think there's any possibility of reconciliation, then I let myself off the hook with forgiveness, for one thing. Yeah. Or what if I forgive with the expectation that that's going to bring about forgiveness and it doesn't, and then I'm devastated, right? Right. right. So to say that forgiveness is, a, is, is not a means to engender reconciliation. What That's he so says huge. is that, yeah, it's so huge. What he says is that forgiveness is something we do for ourselves so that we can be healthy and whole on the inside because a lack of forgiveness is a dark, dark place inside. And forgiveness can set us up for reconciliation so that if that person does come to us at some point wanting to be reconciled, we, our whole heart is prepared for that. But reconciliation is different and that may or may not happen. Right. We have no control over that. What we do have control over is whether or not we do the, the work of forgiveness. Um, and forgiveness is not for the other person. I think that's really important too. Um, it, it, it's for me, um, yeah. doing forgiveness work is for me so that I can be healthy and whole on the inside. Um, so I think, I think that's so very important. And then I think really gives us the freedom to do the work of, of forgiveness and, um, really understanding what forgiveness really is. Um, it's a necessary and difficult spiritual discipline. Um, it is a frontal attack on the false self, and it's a release from the destructive bondage of ourselves when we have not forgiven. Um, and what I really appreciate about his teachings is that um, he makes it clear that forgiveness is not something we can accomplish for ourselves. And isn't that the truth? Right, right. We cannot we can't try make hard to get there. No. We cannot. And instead, he says that when we know we have not forgiven, we can just continually uh, pray and ask God either mm. to do the work of forgiveness in our lives or to even make me want to forgive. You know, God, yeah. I pray that you would, you would help me to even want to forgive because there's sometimes when we don't even want to forgive right. for all the reasons that we spoke about earlier. Um, and that that's all we can do and the rest we trust to God and we just keep praying in that way. Um, God, I, I'm not forgiving, but I want to be made forgiving. I want to be, I want you to do the work of forgiveness in my life until someday God does it. And it's a very, it's a very mysterious thing. Hmm. Um, have you ever had that experience, Steve, where God did yeah, the work? Yes, actually. And it, it was, it was after a long time. It was after mm -hmm. a really yeah. long time where, to be honest, I went in and out of wanting to mm -hmm. forgive. Yeah. <laughs> So sometimes I wanted to, sometimes I didn't. And then I remember this one moment where finally, like the final coin dropped in the slot and I was able to do it and I felt free. Mm -hmm. And um, and it didn't have anything to do with a, a reconciliation. In fact, it wasn't, there wasn't really much of a reconciliation, but I no longer, that person no longer took up all this real estate in my mind. And mm -hmm. um and I don't think it was because I tried hard or wanted it bad enough. I just think That's it was right. finally a, a gracious gift from, from God. 
And it doesn't mean that that person's off the hook at all. I think that's the thing that we are afraid of is that if I forgive, that person's going to be off the hook. Um, but that's not, that's not the situation at all. They will still be held accountable for what they've done. And hopefully there's still a process taking place in their lives that we trust God with. But this is what we have to do for ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a work that only God can do. And so that's why I think even to talk about the work of forgiveness, we're not talking about something that we can accomplish for ourselves when we use the word work. Um, for me, the work of forgiveness involves facing into what it really was, naming it for what it really was, crying the tears that come from what it really was, shouting out the rage from what it really was, like Mm -hmm. working through all that and doing that work as much as is needed. And I think the bigger the, um, the bigger the harm, the longer it takes to get through that part of the process. Don't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, Where you, you know, multiple, probably multiple sessions of crying and screaming and naming it for what it is and journaling it out and praying about it. That is the work right there. Um, And the work of praying, the work of rather than harboring this lack of forgiveness in my heart is something that I am not going to give up. I keep opening it to God. I keep praying, God, I'm, I'm not, I haven't forgiven, but I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be made able to forgive. You know, Steve, this topic of forgiveness is so important to our human experience, I think. Um, and I just want to make sure that we give enough to it because it is so serious for us all. And I know that there are people who are listening who are just saying, that was so horrible. I can't, I just can't, I just can't forgive. Or someone who needs to forgive someone who's died and it's hard to figure out how in the world you're ever going to find closure to something like that. Um, and so I'm grateful that Mulholland does make it clear that forgiveness is for ourselves. It's not for the other person. It doesn't require the other person's participation, um, but it does require us opening to God for, for God to do the work. And I, I pray, and I think that it can be really appropriate that um, even when we need to forgive somebody who's passed from the scene, that if we can even bring some ritual to that, um, that can be really, really helpful, whether it's going to the grave and um, doing something at the grave that brings closure to that experience or whether it's, um, you know, work that's done with a therapist or with a spiritual director, that forgiveness is so important that it warrants our full attention until it's done, you know? And then, um, it's also true to your point that sometimes you think it's done and it's not. And, you know, it comes back to you and all the feelings and all the anger and all the rage. And to me, that's another part of the work of forgiveness. It's work. It's not a one-time thing. So it comes back and you pray again that God would continue to do the work of forgiveness in your life. Um, So I'm, I'm really wanting to communicate a sense of gravitas about this because it's so important to us as humans. We've been hurt and forgiving is just, it's just never easy. The other part that Mulholland talks about is the fact that forgiveness is for us because when we lack forgiveness, when we're not able to forgive, when we're not even doing the work of forgiveness, it really does affect our relationship with God in a negative way. Not because God is withholding anything from us and saying, well, I cannot love you and I can't be intimate with you unless you have forgiven. No, it's that our unforgiveness keeps us in a kind of bondage and we're sort of locked inside it and there's bitterness and resentment and desire for revenge. And we're not able to be as open and available to God in that relationship as we might be. Um, 
And so to continue to pray, though, is the thing, to continue to open it up whenever you become aware of that place of unforgiveness, to open it up to God rather than hold it tight, you know, where we are actually refusing. And I think we probably all go through a period of time where we refuse the work. Of course. You know? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I can't, I can't, I won't, I'm never going to be able to forgive that person, um, which is why it is a work of God. And so even if we can't bring ourselves to do the full forgiveness ourselves, which we most likely won't be able to do, just to keep it open and to keep asking God keeps us in relationship with God about that thing, um, which I think is really important. And I think honesty is so important. I think for, for me anyway, I resist forgiving when I think it, it requires 75 face-to-face meetings with that person, mm-hmm. you know, versus I think you could say, God, I don't want to ever see that person again, mm-hmm. but I do want to forgive them. Could you help me start that journey? I think yeah. that's a fine prayer. I mean, I really think that's a prayer that God would listen to and work with, you know, because if it, if it means, um, if, if what's stopping us is the fear of ever being around that person again, well, wait a minute. Let's not start there. It's it's, it's not about reconciliation, mm-hmm. as you said. It's it's right. it's not even about that person receive you know at saying I'm sorry or receiving our forgiveness. It's it's our work with God, and mm-hmm. so I think wherever we can start that work in a way that feels safe is is the place to start. It's kind of radical, you know, what we're talking about here, and he uses the word radical a lot. But he says this is a life of radical abandonment to God in love and equally radical availability to God for others. Yeah. So it's both. It's that pipe that's open on both ends. Yeah. Um, so that in all circumstances and relationships of life, our life becomes one in whom God is present for others. Um, so it's a radical availability to God and a radical availability to God for others. Wow. That's it. I mean, that's that's yeah. it. Um, that's how, that's how that, the life that we're talking about here, I think is best described and it's very radical. Well, let's take a moment to be quiet, light the candle, open up to God with the way that you're holding your body and sitting in your body. Let your body be the temple right now and just express to God how open you are whatever it is that he has. And I would like to ask you to to look at your life in two categories. First of all, forbearance. When we were talking about forbearance, was there someone that came to mind? There was someone that came to my mind um, and an actual visual of situations where we would sit and try to talk, but we were coming from such different places and I could feel all my feelings and how much I wanted to prove myself right and how much I wanted to convince them and then how different it felt when I could sit back and just listen with love. And I want to ask you, is there anybody in your life right now where you know that you're being called to forbear with them and just allow them to be with God on God's own term for them without you having to get all involved and muck around in it? What would it look like? What would it feel like to just love them versus trying to change them or convince them to forbear with them? Who is that person? And even without words, just ask God to help you do that thing that God asks us to do, which is to forbear 
with each other. It feels so impossible these days, doesn't it? And then forgiveness. I'm sure that as we're talking about forgiveness, someone came to your mind. Someone certainly came to my mind. And is there still forgiveness work that you need to do? Where are you with the work? Are you just at the beginning? Are you still clutching it tight? as something you don't want to open to God just yet? Um, do you have a sense that you might be ready to open it up, to start the work? Maybe you just need to stay faithful to the work. Crying, being angry, journaling, doing therapy, whatever it is that, that is. Um, mourning, whatever might have gotten lost. Praying to God regularly when that person comes to mind. Oh God, I'm not able to forgive, but I want to be able to forgive. Would you help me? Would you do this work inside? These are very significant areas for our spiritual lives. Go ahead and welcome the Spirit of God into that place, even if it feels uncomfortable. Open to God right there. Loving God, something deep within me hungers for wholeness. Voiceless stirrings in the depths of my being surprise me at unexpected moments with their hints of a life lived more freely in you. A life that would transfigure me and transform my life in this world. These all too brief moments of clarity, these glimpses of a richer life, quickly fade beneath the constant onslaught of my daily life. Its pressures, its problems, its inertia. Yet your presence continues to reside in my depths. Your love calls forth these hungers for wholeness. Your grace engenders these voiceless stirrings. As I consider this invitation to put on this new nature, may your spirit move deep inside and in my life. May I give voice to these voiceless stirrings. May I act upon them as you guide me and lead me. Enable me to not only hear your voice, but to respond to your love from the depths of my being. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way today. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you'll immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going, so we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging.